Welcome to the Data Stack Show. Each week, we explore the world of data by talking to the people shaping its future. You'll learn about new data technology and trends and how data teams and processes are run at top companies. The Data Stack Show is brought to you by Rudderstack, the CDP for developers. You can learn more at rudderstack.com. Costas, we love talking about data, and you were telling me the other day that you are actually looking for someone to work with you on your team, and part of the job is talking about data all day. So tell me, tell me about this job. Yeah, we are looking for someone to work with me as part of the developer experience team at Rudderstack. Um, and more specifically, in the DevRel role. Um, so we are looking for a person who is interested in anything around data and talking about data and building relationships with other people that care and love working with data. So that's it. I think it's an amazing opportunity and uh, we'd love to hear from anyone who might be interested. It doesn't really matter if someone has a previous experience in DevRel. It's more about uh, genuinely love and like want to work like in, 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 with data and the communities around data. Very cool. And where, uh, man, maybe I'm going to apply for this job, but if I did want to apply for this job, where should I go? You can mail me at costas at um, datastackshow.com. That's one way. The other way is just visit rudderstack.com uh, slash careers. And you can, I mean, someone can have like a look at all the open positions that we have, and they will also find the developer experience related uh, positions there. Very cool. Well, hopefully we get one of our amazing listeners to join you on the team. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, yeah. Welcome back to the Data Sec Show. Today, we're going to talk with Vinath, and he uh, works on Hootie at the Apache Foundation. And so we'll talk all about Hootie is, if you don't know what that is. But he has an unbelievable resume. I mean, just, just so impressive. And uh, I'll give a little bit away here and probably steal the show with my question, Costas. But we've talked with some people who have worked on technology inside of large companies like Netflix that has later been open sourced and sort of made available generally. But we haven't, at least in my knowledge, talked with someone who was there at the beginning and really started it from the very beginning. And I just want to get that story. Like what were the challenges that they were facing at Uber? Where did the idea come from? And then like, how did it actually come to life inside the company? So I think that sort of origin story is going to be really cool to hear about Hootie. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's probably like the first open source project that it's actually an Apache project that we have here as a oh, guest. Right. I think so. So that's going to be interesting because, okay, that this this is also important. It's one thing to have like a project you know, to open source something on GitHub. And it's another thing to have something that's governed by the Apache Foundation. So it's, it's a, especially from the governance uh, side, like it's a very different situation. So I think that's going to be very interesting to chat with him. And okay, Vinathis is, is a person who, ha who has been like in the right place at the right time in many occasions when something interesting around data was created. He was in LinkedIn, Uber, Confluent later on. <laughs> yeah. So, and he's one of the, like, I think, I think it's one of the best people out there to talk about what the data lake is, because that's what who is. And it's going to be very interesting to see how he started playing with the idea of like building something like a data lake inside Uber and why these got open, like as open source and why now data lakes are so important and so hyped. So I'm very excited. I think we are going to have a very interesting conversation with him. All right. Well, let's dig in. Yeah, let's do it. Vinat, welcome to the show. We're so excited to chat with you. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, in the world of data, I think it's safe to say that your resume is probably one of the most impressive that I've ever seen. So do you want to just give us a, a quick background on your career path and what led you to what you're doing today with Hootie? And first of all, I don't know if, if, if I am deserving of all those kind words, but <laughs> I, I tend to think of myself 
more of a one-trick pony who keeps doing databases for over a decade uh, <laughs> because that's the only thing I know. So for me, I started first job out of college. Uh, UD Austin was Oracle, work on the uh, Oracle server, data replication, what passed for stream processing back in the day, CQL streams, Oracle, Golden Gate, data integration, CDC. That's where I started. Then moved on to LinkedIn where I led the Voldemort Key Value Store. I think I didn't think I think most people have forgotten that project by now, but it was like like LinkedIn's Cassandra. It's actually a pretty popular project, and actually led that and we scaled it through all the hyper growth growth stages for LinkedIn from like tens of millions of users to hundreds of millions of users. That's what lasted us through that. Then I moved on to Uber where. I was the third engineer on the, the data team where we had a Vertica cluster on some Python scripts. And that's kind of like, this is Uber, 200 engineers, 100 plus engineers, and back in 2014. So I spent almost five years there working mm. on data. I had, since I joined yearly, and that's kind of what I was looking for when I left LinkedIn, is like a, a blank, uh, sheet of paper in which I can actually try, work hard, try to build something uh, new, make mistakes, learn, like oh, that, that journey I wanted for myself. So Uber gave me that and we ended up creating Hoodie there, which kind of like has become, it's great to actually see how the space has evolved over the last four years. I also did a lot of other infrastructure things at Uber, including Uber's one of the first companies to adopt HTTP3, if you will. As it was getting standardized, I still don't know whether it's fully standardized. So we ran quick over and then replaced TCP with UDP-based condition control. Oh, wow. So I like to dabble with a lot of infrastructure stuff. I was work, working, used to work with the database teams at Uber. So then I left Uber, went to Confluent, uh, where I met some of my old colleagues from LinkedIn, worked on yet another database, KSQLE, <laughs> and parts of Kafka Storage, Connect, and you know, so generally being around this stream processing database, data pipeline, this kind of space for a while. And yeah, I'm, I'm like, like I, I have some time now to actually dedicate full time to Hoodie. Hoodie was something that I kept push, growing the community in the open source in the ASF for almost four years now. And then finally have some time to dedicate to Hoodie and then I'm doing, I'm enjoying that this year. Very cool. Well, first of all, I don't know if after hearing that my conclusion would be one trick pony, but okay, I have so many questions, but one thing I'm really excited about is we've, we've talked a lot on the show about trickle down of technology from organizations like Uber, Netflix, et cetera, that are sort of solving problems at a scale that just haven't been solved before. And some really cool technology emerges from that. But we haven't been able to talk with someone who is part of the sort of development of that from the beginning. So could you just, we just love the story of Hootie. What problem were you trying to solve? And I think in the age that we live in, it's sometimes hard to think back to, you know, 2014 and what the infrastructure was like back then. But We'd love to know like the tools that you were working with, the problems you were having, and then just tell us about the birth of, of Hootie inside of Uber. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good, fascinating story, actually. So 2014, as you can imagine, Uber was like, we're hiring a lot, we're growing a lot. It's like launching new cities every, every week, uh, if not every day. And it, so we're really in that phase. And if you look at what we had, like we had like a typical on-prem data warehouse and while Vertica is a really great MPP query engine, but it's not really, we couldn't really fit all of our data volumes into it. If you look at all the IoT data or the sensor data or like any large volume event stream data or any of these things, it, it, they don't fit inside that. So we, we built out Hadoop data lake, most people did. I came from LinkedIn before that, so very well. Like till that, I, I knew the runbook to what to do. You you do Kafka, you do like even streams, you do like CDC change capture, get a lake up and running, and you do. So that was that was like just, familiar territory. Like that was familiar. The things that we really replaced, the, the certain things I wanted to fix over, kind of like what we didn't do at LinkedIn, which was we wanted to ensure all data is columnar. 
never have a mix of like like json or don't do so we essentially forced and built a lender company to schematize the data and built a lot of tooling around it end to end you would get a page duty alert if like data is broken or of that so so we did a lot of things to actually ensure that the lake can be operationalized and within a year we had a lake where you can do the data was flowing in where we can do presto for interactive querying some spark etls and hive which was still the mainstay for etl at this point because spark was 1.3 like this is coming up right yeah. so the main problem we hit was as you can imagine uber is a pretty real time business right so what we weren't able to do was we had our trip stores upstream a lot of different databases we wanted to take the transactional data which is kind of you know changing and reflect that onto the lake with something like vertica you already have transactions updates merges like it can do these things it got indexes and while the data lake could scale horizontally on compute and storage it cannot do these things so that led to the creation of hoodie where we said hey look um, we are between a rock and a hard place we can't fit all this data there and and but we don't have these functionalities here so we chose to basically bring these database functionalities or data warehouse transactional functionalities to the lake and that's kind of how hudi was really born mm. we and the the key differentiator i would say from some of the maybe the other projects in the space would be right away we had to support like three engines like presto like like three i mentioned had to work out of the box right and the other thing is like with every company we had our raw data then we build etls on the lake after that so it's not sufficient that we just replicate the trip data very quickly by building updates and everything we also had to build the downstream tables quickly so we essentially borrowed from stream processing a lot having like worked on stream processing systems before we built a cdc capabilities or streaming incremental streams into hudi even in the very first version and so that we can actually the effect was upstream data store every few minutes it's up to date with the downstream table on the lake and then you can consume incrementally from that lake and build more tables downstream so we kind of moved all of the core data flows at, uh, at uber into this model and that that gave us 10x or in some cases like for our given tables even 100x kind of like improvements over wow. the way with we used to process data before so fundamentally hudi was created created around the concept of okay yes we added transactions updates deletes but the bigger picture was this enabled you to process everything incrementally uh, sure. as opposed to doing big batch processing that's kind of how how hudi was one and well i feel like we could talk for 5 hours because i have so many questions but quick question less about the technology how many what was the size of the team and how long did it take you to go from sort of the idea or the definition of the problem or maybe like early spec to sort of having an early version of hudi in production yeah okay it's kind of like a funny thing because i started writing like a first kind of draft or at least for the writer transactional side i think in my uh, second month that over but we didn't oh, get wow. to build it until for a year because we put the business first we're just trying to build an operation there's so many other things to build but finally we we decided to kind of fund the project with three people in i think 20 late 2015 and then by mid 2016 we actually had our like our mid or late like you know q3 ish uh, late q3 ish we had all of our core ingest tables at least like running on the project and i thought we were able to only do that because we ex- use existing horizontally scalable storage we used all the existing batch engines right so we didn't write a new server run time or like build a lot of things we didn't try to build like a kudu for example right which was like its own something that we considered by the way back then before building this yeah and then i think we can we open this as a project pretty early in 2017 to 2017 So Hoodie was the first sort of like trailblazer for 
like transactions on a data lake across multiple engines. And we mostly wanted to open source it because we weren't really sure if you're doing the right thing back then. <laughs> so we wanted to get more feedback. <laughs> I can tell you now it's like super visionary and all that, but no, like, we were like, okay, we're doing something a little bit awkward. At least it felt a lot awkward to the, 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 the more of the Hadoop people who grew up in the Hadoop space to mm. me. It felt very natural because I was working on key value stores and databases and change capture before that. So it all was like, but but there's like a lot of the the bridges to cross before I think it became a mainstream thing. Can you give us a definition of what data lake is? Wow. Okay. So in my <laughs> mind, at least. Uh, so most people, if you ask them, I'll start with that. Like a data lake is files on like S3 or GCS. So that's kind of like the perception that people have. In reality, through the, I think we we, we built a, I would, what I would call a honest data lake architecture at Uber, where, which is what it is. So data lake is basically an architectural pattern for organizing data. Like you can even build data lakes on like an RDBMS if you want. The main idea is you replicate your operational schema raw, keep it like simple there. So you do an EL and then you do ETL there. And then you try to keep, so, it, but it's been over years overloaded with a lot of different constructs here that it means Hadoop in some people's mind. It means like S3 in some people's mind or parquet in some people's mind. So the basic idea I think remains that, which is like you do, you do this like raw and drive data. And from the impact that we saw at Uber, what I can say is embracing that architecture has a lot of key benefits. It completely decouples your backend teams or data producers and your data consumers have this raw data layer now, which they can use to actually even figure out what the data problems are, right? Otherwise, a lot of people do transformations in flight. So you can't really like, you have to go to the source system to reboot stuff. We had a lot of basic issues around just how we do the data architecture. Mm-hmm. That's, that's how I see a data lake to be, like an architectural pattern. Yeah, so that's a very interesting definition, actually, and probably the most accurate that I have here, like so far. Because to be honest, like also personally, like I'm still like a little bit confused. Like you can see like many different pieces of technology that they fall under like the umbrella of a data lake without being very clear what the role in the data lake architecture is for them. And obviously, marketing doesn't help with that stuff, especially now that we have all these like the lake house and we're trying like to, let's say, take the data lake and make it equivalent to a data warehouse and vice versa. And that's my next question. What's the difference between a data warehouse and data lake in terms of like as architectural patterns, right? Got it, got it. So I'll, I'll, I'll now actually talk about how the, the system design of data lakes and data warehouses typically have been, right? That, that is what I think most like, like what, what I think what you're speaking to. If, if you look at, uh, if you take a minute, right? If, if you just go back to how we were doing Vertica or Teradata, we mm-hmm. had, you essentially bought some software, installed it on like a bunch of servers, right? They had deep coupling between storage and compute. And it's a fully vertically optimized stack, right? So having closed file formats, like one query engine, one SQL on top of that data on like a fixed set of servers gave them like, they were able to probably squeeze out performance for single core, right? So that is how your on-prem or the traditional data warehouses have been built. And your data lakes typically rely on, even from the Hadoop, Era, right? They rely on, okay, HDFS or cloud or some horizontally scalable storage. You decouple the storage and then you can fit even, even back before, right? even before, uh, like even if we go to 2014, you can fit like, like I mentioned, a Presto or a Spark or a Hive on top of the same data. So the fundamental difference here is the data and the compute are more loosely coupled in a data lake. And they're much, much more strongly coupled on a warehouse in terms of like across the stack optimizations and how it's built. With the modern cloud warehouses, they've changed the game where they've actually 
decouple the storage and the compute, but the format and everything, everything else is still like vertical, right? So mm-hmm. there's like one format for Snowflake or BigQuery, one SQL, and it just like operates in a different way, which gives you a lot of scalability over traditional warehouses. So that's why you see a lot of people talking about, okay, you don't need data lakes, you just need like cloud warehouses, because right? So if all you're trying to do in life is just BI, maybe they're right, uh, you yeah. know, the cost aside, maybe they're right. If you now go to cloud, so while the cloud warehouses have like leapfrogged on-prem warehouses and evolved, if you look at on our data lakes in the cloud, they're very similar to how they were on-prem, mm-hmm. right? So that's where we are today. And that's where the sort of the lake house comes in. And I think we didn't, well, we, we did in like, you know, pioneer kind of transactions on the lake and all of that, but we didn't call it the lake house back then. Mostly because I've still felt that even today, the transactional capabilities that we have in a hoodie or like all these similar technologies are like much slower compared to what you would find in a typical warehouse, full-blown warehouse. So we were like a little bit shy about those things, but I think many people weren't. So, it's, so but that's kind of what we refer yeah. to lake house now, right? So we yeah. brought some of these core data warehouse functionality back to this data lake model fit it on top of like a parquet or a ORC kind of like open format and then make it accessible to multiple engines. That's what a lake house is. And it gives you some of the, some of these, the sum is the, the important part. Some of the capabilities of the cloud data warehouse, while it still retains the advantages over a warehouse, the lake has over a warehouse. For example, it's much, much more uh, cost efficient. It's way cheaper. You can run like, eventually, if you think you're going to need machine learning or data science, it's a more forward-looking way to build where you get your data first into some sort of like lake house thing. And then uh, you query, you do your analytics and data science there, and then you can move a portion of your workload into a cloud warehouse, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of like, I, I feel like we will go back to that model in the next few years. Mm-hmm. because the 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 cloud data warehousing architecture fundamentally doesn't really suit running large data processing on them so at least a good segment chunk of the market i think will, will move towards this model i think yeah that's interesting i remember like i was talking recently with some friends in a company where traditionally they had let's say when it comes like to data management data processing like they had like two parallel paths they had a data warehouse that was used for data analytics and bi and then they also had let's say a data lake and it was based like on spark and on top of like s3 that was used from the data science team and what they want to do now is actually they want to move into this let's say Delta Lake, but like the lake house architecture, so they can merge these two together. So the two teams inside the company don't use like two completely different like stacks for their for their work. So that's that's very interesting to hear also from you because it resonates a lot like with what like people are trying to do. You talk about transactions and getting transactions and implementing transactions on top of like the data lake. Why transactions are important? Why we need them? Yeah, so if you look at how, let, let's look at it through the lens of like a use case, right? GDPR. I, I look back at GDPR and I, I could see that that, is, that was the one use case that kind of trickled hoodie down to everyone else. Because till then, if you look at it, the stuff that I talked about at the end, Sure, Uber had the needs for a lot of business, like uh, faster data, and we did it a certain way. And anybody who does that will get the benefits, the efficiency gains that we got. But there are the, the business drivers for that weren't simply there before something like GDPR. So you need to ingest data, and then you need it like a team now to go scrub the data and say, like, delete people who left your service or something, right? So this kind of like you now introduce two teams who want to operate on the same kind of like uh, data set or table. And then now that forced updates, deletes and transactions. And that pretty much is what kind of like uh, made this into like uh, an inevitable sort of transition. If you're doing a lake, you're 
going to probably want to just move into one of those one of these like newer things now right mm-hmm. so that's kind of like the main thing i would say okay that's very interesting and like you said at some point that okay we take something from the database world and we implement it like on top of the file system which is the transactions but again like the transactions the, the way that we implemented them is not like exactly what you see like in a data warehouse right so what's the difference yeah. like what what is there that we don't need Yeah. So here, I think there are significant key differences. Like people, people tend to talk about the like Delta Lake or Hoodie in the same kind of like thing because we like to compare things, uh, and then it's easier for us to compare things and understand, right? But if you look at the concurrency model, even they're completely different how they are designed. So data warehouses do like multi-table transactions, for example. Like here, we've been say on the lake, we've been lake house. We've been saying, yeah, we can do it. We we can probably add multi-table transactions, but the locking that you do, they do more. They can do more pessimistic locking. They probably can since they have long-running servers. Mm-hmm. They can probably do a lot more unique constraint foreign key validation. These kinds of things that you would expect in a like full-blown database, they're able to do today, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, and and if you, the other key difference with the current Lakehouse architecture is it's completely it's kind of like serverless, right? It's like a it's like a serverless whatever warehouse, if you will, that comes up part by part as needed on demand, right? Okay, just like the writer comes up, writes, and then goes away, and then like a reader comes and goes away. So there is no long running things that you can do to do coordination. So that's like for some interesting challenges, right? Mm-hmm. So if you if you take a look at Delta Lake, they pretty much do optimistic concurrency control, which basically is if I if two writers don't contend, you're fine, but otherwise one of them fails, right? Mm-hmm. And if you if you look at what we the approach we take in Huri, we we try to serialize everything. We try to resolve conflicts by supporting log structures, differential data structures. We try to take in the writes and then sort of do uh, collision resolution later on. And we try to, because end of the day, data lakes are about high throughput writes. These, these transactions are in database terms, very large transactions. So you cannot really afford to have one of them fail. Like imagine like a delete job that ran for eight hours and it fails now. And then you lost like some eight hours of compute and yeah. all this cloud stuff. So we took a very different approach. I could see because we were focused a lot more on streaming CDC data in and like all of those incremental use cases. If you look at Databricks and Delta Lake, probably they have a lot of batch spark workload that they run. So they probably don't get that much concurrency overlap. So maybe OCC works well for them. So just like with databases, like how we have an Oracle, Postgres, or a MySQL, I think there's so much technical differences with these projects that we will end up with like a bunch of these things, I feel, over time. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Do you see, like, uh, that's my last question around like transactions. Uh, do you see the transactions from the data lake to get closer and closer to what we have in databases? Or you think that is like, there is a limit out there that it doesn't make sense or we cannot, let's say, pass. I mean, we, we can. We can build the same thing. We are actually, in Hoodie, at least, we are experimenting with adding a meta server. So essentially make... So if you look at the problem as data plane and sort of metadata plane, the data warehouse has servers for both data and metadata. The mm. lake has no servers for both data and metadata today. Right with the way that we, things have evolved with with like Delta Lake or Iceberg, right? Where you stick metadata into a file, right? I mean, that's not going to be like uh, performant if you compare to what, let's say, Snowflake does, which is like keep metadata in a, another OLTB, horizontally scalable OLTB database like uh, FoundationDB, for example. So we are trying to tinker with a model where we have servers for metadata and we keep the data plane like kind of serverless where you know Spark jobs should be able to access S3 raw direct, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one thing we feel like will bring it a little bit closer. This is, I feel is the gap in the lake house architecture today. But I like the first aspect you mentioned, right? Like, do we need to do that? So that's the other part. So 
unless you are running really lot of concurrent workloads today there isn't like a pressing thing right the lakos vision is just starting up uh, but to if you have to fulfill that i would imagine that you need like a full set of capabilities people should be able to run workloads on a lakos which are like highly concurrent and highly scalable as they would on like a warehouse so i think there are technical gaps and a lot of things to be built in the next couple of uh, years or more going forward there super interesting and outside of transactions what else do you see as a component from like a more traditional database system that it is required also from a data lake or a lake house yeah so i don't know if this fits into the lake house model but at least for huri we actually borrowed a lot from oltp databases as well like indexes for example mm-hmm. we have an interesting problem for cdc right if if you so okay you have an upstream like uh, oracle or cassandra some oltp databases taking writes if you have to replicate that downstream to like a data lake table then i mean why are the updates faster on the upstream oltp table because they have indexes and like what not to like update them right but yeah. if so if you have to keep up with an upstream oltp table your write on the data lake table has to be like feel like you're writing to a kind of like an oltp table so we invested a lot in more sort of like so this problem is similar to running a flink job reading from like a kafka cdc and then updating a state store essentially the stream processing principle so we borrowed a lot from stream processing and databases and brought it also to the data lake and that is i think at this point a pretty unique thing that we've been able to achieve if you look at a lot of our users they are able to stream like a lot of data raw into the lake very quickly mm-hmm. and that's all possible kind of like because of this but for the core warehousing problem i think we already have columnar formats we close the loops on transactions and get get the get the usability there that's something that we haven't talked about at all if you compare stack we we talked a lot about technology but if we talk about usability how quickly can you build a lakehouse versus how, like starting on a warehouses warehouses been all the time right yeah. so these kinds of things are more important for the lakehouse vision i think than but but we are trying to add more capabilities on the lake yeah. than a, even a typical warehousing would that you do today yeah that that makes total sense and what about the query layer yeah that's a interesting one so i think today if you if the lay of the land is you pick a on the why if you are on the lake you pick like a presto trino equivalent for a lot of the interactive queries and you write spark or flink or high vtls i think i know i'm broadly categorizing but that's like the major things that pop up right and the key thing to understand here is there is a lot of things that we don't typically even classify as query engines like all different nlp frameworks are like some of them are not even distributed right there's like a but they still work on these open data formats so there's lot this more kind of like more fragmented sort of like tool set around the ml nlp ai deep learning like that space that is also kind of going to kind of only grow so i don't see a future where there'll be more query engines on the like there's going to be like more and more query engines and i think the smarter strategy here would be to you know have a lake kind of first strategy again and build towards that keep your data sort yeah. of like in a in a open format that you can buy support from many people and kind of like have it be more future proofed that's mm-hmm. kind of like what i think inevitably this is going to lead organizations into yeah i'll i'll ask something like from the completely opposite side of the stack because we are talking sure. about like who took about like the query and correct me if i'm wrong but what i understand is that the data lake at the end like then your work as the creator was like who for example is to build let's say table formats on top of some file formats that we already have that usually we are talking about parquet and orc here right is this correct the way that i'm uh, understanding it yeah so the thing that this table format term again is like doesn't do justice to sort of at least like what hudi has to offer for example 
right? There's a lot more than what you need than a table format. So if you look at what a table format is, it's a metadata of your file formats, right? Around what, right? It's it's a means to an end. What I think we we built in open source today is a lot of the services that also operate on the data because yeah. without them being open, it doesn't matter with pick open format, right? You don't own the services that operate on them. So you mm-hmm. have to basically, you're saying, I have to buy some vendor who will operate these services for me. So so this is the gap that I, I think like something like refills here, I'm speaking for Hadi. We have compaction clustering. We have the like the bottom half of the warehouse or a lake house or a database, yeah. whichever you want to use, kind of like available to you, which you can now use to query multiple different file formats with. Mm-hmm. And to your point, Yes, we mostly it's analytical storage, right? Mm-hmm. But if you look at Hoodie, there are some use cases that come up where people really don't want a database, but they want like a point, like a key-based lookup on a top of like S3 data. We support hedge file as a base format, for example. Like hedge file is the underlying file format for hedge base. So it's like really optimized for kind of like use range reads to do like get batch. You can do like batch point key gets from hedge file. So there are, I think, going to be like more and more use cases like this. I can totally imagine how this can be used for, let's say, hyperparameter tuning or something on a machine learning pipeline, mm-hmm. right? So I think there's a lot more that we probably haven't built. And this space is sort of like still nascent, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, for all the reasons that I've been citing, mm-hmm. it's, it's still a lot more work to do here. Do you, do you see like any innovation... Uh any space left for innovation like when it comes to the file formats themselves because okay we take for granted like parquet out there or ORC but like that's pretty much what everyone is using right do you see yeah. like anything changing there or we need something to change there yeah so that's the thing right so in, often you know oftentimes in open source that's the other kind of like my I mean I, I've been in open source for 12 years so but my my own pet gripe is sometimes I think what wins is the more most popular is what like happens yeah. right it, it is a popularity contest in some sense it becomes that while on a more managed service you get swapped out with with something that happens new so I think for a change to happen at like that file format layer I am pretty sure that there can be a new better file format that can be written even like Google has a capacitor is the file format on top of underlying BigQuery, right? It is a successor to Dremel, which is what Parquet is based on. So, I mean, you can read a blog. They don't open source the format this time. There's already there, one there, right? Yeah. So it's more like if we now, if we've done this now, so like it's going to take a while for people to migrate. And yeah. all this. But I'm pretty sure with like new processors coming out all the time, and there's not documented things around like CPU efficiency around like how you access Parquet. So there's like plenty of room for improvement, I think. Like original Parquet was designed in an era where mostly on-prem HDFS, right? So mm-hmm. you had to care a lot about storage space. But if you now don't care as much, would you do certain things differently? I haven't put a lot of thought into it, but I'm pretty sure there's something that is better that can come out mm-hmm. uh, in the future. That's that's super interesting. Cool. Let's uh, you mentioned open source, uh, so let's spend some time like on on that aspect of the data lake because let's say we have like three, as we said, like major technologies out there. All three of them have like some open source presence. And I will start my question with asking you why data lakes are open sourced. Like we can see open source there, and when we are doing about data warehouses. I don't know. I think instinctively, the first response will be, we don't have an open source uh, data warehouse, right? Why is that? I honestly feel this all started from like the, the Hadoop data lake, Hadoop era, basically where I think, uh, I think Cloud era, if, I, if, I, if my memory serves me right, they like boldly declared that like, you know, everything open source is the way to go. And I think I agree, but it, it's basically been a train from there because like Spark was open, like the major tools that have succeeded have been open, right? And then I think we ended up with like the lakes being open and 
the warehouse is being more closed. I, I don't know why that is though. I do see that there is advantages in being closed and moving faster and you can build more vertically optimized solutions. So historically, databases have been that way. If you even take like RDBMS or every single, we won't even talk about something like this in OLTB databases, for example, right? We won't say, why don't we have a common table format and let's have uh, Spanner and or Yugabyte and CockroachDB all query that format or something. So mm-hmm. I think <laughs> I don't find that very weird. I won't be the person who would say, yeah, it should, it should, it should just be open. Otherwise, it's wrong. I don't think that's true. I, I, I do think that this, to that point, what do databases add? They add a lot of runtime over that format. And then at that point, you're not dealing with the format, so it doesn't matter whether yeah. it's open or not. Right. So what I really care about, again, going back is whether these services are open, right? Can you cluster a Snowflake table outside of Snowflake? If you don't buy that, maybe there is someone who can use AI and super cluster your tables automatically. They know this is like like a genius who has this like one a clustering algorithm. Can you use it? You can't, right? So I think that is the main thing that I would say that the lakes bring. And it's been that way. And I I feel on the flip side, warehouses do have better out of box, easy to get started. And yeah. like those things, they've made it work for the cost at the cost of openness. And on the lake, I would say people still have to build a lake, right? You can use a warehouse, but you have to build a lake. You can either download one or you sign up on something and use it, right? But you have to go like hire a data engineer, hire some people, build a data team, and then they will build a data lake for you. So there's pros and cons to both approaches, I would say. I I think, I don't know which one's right. Do you think this is going to change for data lakes? Do you see like uh, more effort put towards like the user experience, let's say, of these technologies? Yeah, I think that certainly, at least we are doing it and we've been doing it for, that's kind of like how we even got started. If you go to Hoodie, you will find a full-fledged streaming ingestion service, right? There is a single Spark submit command that you can run and then the tables like gets clustered and cleaned and like all this like indexed and all this Z ordering or uh, Hilbert curves or stuff that is like logged away to even table like uh, Databricks or like a uh, Snowflake you can find in open source. And we try to make, give you a like tool set that you can actually run it easily. But here is what I see. I think as, even as we make, usable, make it more and more usable, more and more consumable. It's still the operational aspects of it. I do see people on the community, like really talented, like driven engineer, data engineers who come to the community. They're trying to pick up all these database concepts, trying to understand what data clustering is. Why do I, what do you do linear sorting or like Hilbert course? Like they're trying to understand all these fundamental database concepts try to become platform engineers, try to like run thousand tables and manage that entire thing for their company, right? And many of them come out with flying colors, some of them don't. And in any case, it takes like a year or more for people to get through that learning curve and Mm. do this. So this is where I wonder where there is like a better model here where companies should be able to get started with as easy as how it is. I mean, okay, don't worry about all of this. Just get started with all of these like lake technologies. Then, yeah, maybe you don't want, you don't want, you want to do it yourself, right? Okay. So then they should be able to fork off. This is what I'm suggesting is a pretty much a reverse of what most open source go-to-market people <laughs> tell you, which is you form a community and then you make it so that you keep it bare minimum and then people can use it and then you build more advanced stuff on top. Yeah. But for the lake, I feel like for like with Hoodie, we try to make everything easy, but the problem is people still need to take it and run it. It's not non-trivial mm. thing to operate a database as a service, right? Having done that, Walmart as a service, like LinkedIn and like KSQL on the cloud and like I can vouch for that much. I can talk with other, some like authenticity. So we should make it easy for people to get started with a lake house, like, like or a lake or whatever. And then at a point, your business will grow where it needs data science. Business will need ML. 
right? At that point, you can decide, okay, am I going to be able to hire better engineers than that vendor? Then you shouldn't be bottlenecked on the vendor. You want to move quickly. You should be able to branch out from open source, run your own thing, right? So that is, I think, the model that we should build. And unfortunately, what happens in the data lake space today is it's like, you may remember the famous parquet ORC format wars of the of the Hadoop era, right? I mean, where two companies were just like saying two formats or whatever. Kind of like doing the same thing to table formats, which defeats the whole point of the thing having being open to begin with, right? Yeah. Because most data lake companies are a query engine or like a data science stack. And they're basically going and upselling users, hey, use this format, use that format, including hoodie, right? Like, but the real problem here is they have to go and do hire the engineers and do the ops and like their data engineers have to get every optimization right for that organization to uh, someone signing the check high up is like oh yeah you are like better than the warehouse or you are you are now future proofed it like for the organization to see the benefit so i think if we don't fix this problem this way it's it's, it's not about technology i think we can fix all the all the gaps but i think this is the problem that i see the, the managed aspect of it, it, there's no easy way to get started. Mm. So uh, otherwise, I think it will it will remain in the cloud. Cloud warehouse will be the entry point and you build a lake when you're suffering from cost or openness or you want data science team. That's how it will be if you don't fix so, it this way. Quick, quick question on that front. And I'm thinking about our listeners who, we certainly have listeners who are sort of managing complex data lake infrastructure, but I'm thinking about our listeners who, maybe started with the warehouse and they know that the data lake is is inevitable in some ways for their organization. But to your point, that can probably be a big step. What are the things that they need, they need to be thinking about or even sort of planning for, you know, six months or a year away from sort of the inevitability of like needing a larger data lake infrastructure? Are there decisions or architectures or sort of even ways they think about data now that will help them make that path smoother, even though the tooling isn't quite there to make it easy for them. Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing I would say is like, you no, know, like do, do more of the, the streaming event-based or the, the Kafka hub kind of like architecture, right? Because it really having the ability for you to get all your data streams in a single kind of like firehose and then you can now tee this off to the warehouse or to the lake. You have that flexibility. I would say most people who are in the journey today are using like a opaque kind of like data integration pipe, which mm. takes data from a data like lake and let's say Fitran, for example, or Fitran or, you know, by the way, really great services, but I'm just like the architecturally, you just don't see the tap into the data streams. It's, it's. So you you really have sure, to like there's a, capture two there's times. like a core data yeah. infrastructure pipe that those tools actually need to feed into for you to actually feed it out into your own. Yeah. yeah, switching my hat a little bit. If you look at my my, my like in my life at Confluent, like what we are trying to build was okay. You do like the source connect and the sync connect are kind of decoupled. So you get the CDC logs from like an Oracle or any database, and then you can feed it to many other systems. So a lake and a warehouse. So make sure your data can flow into both and you have the optionality to pick which one you want to send where. That's one. The, the other thing is start with probably your more, the raw data move out to the lake. That's where you have most of the, the, the data volume. And since it's usually in a OLTP schema, not optimized for like analytical queries, uh, that's where probably you're spending most of your cost on a warehouse as well because sure. like they're not really in that schema. So those are like really good candidates for you to start. And then in most scenarios, the derivatives, you can keep them there. They're more performance sensitive. So you can slowly migrate them over here, right? And then what you need in the meantime is you should really push for your cloud data warehouse provider for better external table support because mm. like they have no incentive to do that <laughs> unless you, you force them to do it, um, <laughs> sure. right? Because technically speaking for organizations, uh, what I can see is, okay, I'm using pipeline company X and then they're using data warehouse Y. And then if, I, if you want to now build a lake, right? And offload your raw, like you want to build a lake and going back to our first question, 
you want a raw data and a derived data layer you want to move raw data out i mean if you do it then all the sql has to still run correct like to for you to build the derived data so that is where i think there is stickiness and like lock in points for warehouses where unless that sql can run in a reasonable amount of time on the lake this project would fail right hmm. so for example in huri we just added dbt support so that you can oh, wow. get raw data tables in huri and now you can use dbd to probably like transfer over we'll be working towards more parity or more standardization we are today as standard as what uh, spark sql is right so you can now use that and use dbd to do the transformation on the lake even there should be a way for you to move the the your workloads to the lake seamlessly look think about those abstractions whether it's dbt or airflow or like how compatible sql is think through all these things but if your cloud warehouse provider provided better external table support then you can keep those queries running even though if you offload the raw data lake you can query like try a presto or some other lake engine in the meantime as you decide how things are going sure. right so it's it's not going to be a easy switch this is going to take a year or like at least 6 months for you to switch sure. a reasonable amount of data so planning ahead around all these touch points is the is the is what i would kind of like advise to think think through first sure well, i think that's really helpful because the question i asked was what what do you need to be thinking about if you're sort of going from a warehouse warehouse based infrastructure and then adding the lake infrastructure and you would think that the answer is more around the lake but it's actually more around the orchestration and the pipelines and giving yourself yeah. option value as it relates to all the various components of the stack that are going to arise from moving towards the the lake architecture right i've seen many companies right so i i i categorize them into two buckets one is if you don't do this right what happens is there is a lake but no one's using it and then over time the data quality goes like slowly these projects start to fizzle out sure. if you don't do this right the ones that succeed have top down kind of energy to say okay we're going lake first and we're going to like revamp the whole thing in in lots of scenarios for example the lake comes in when data science comes in when data science comes in usually what comes in is they data scientists would show up and say hey i like okay fine you want me to improve your app but give me some events tell me what's going on in that then kafka comes in and then you like pump a lot of events right yeah. and then that's when the data volume spikes and then that's when people are like oh yeah wait like i need like right this is kind of like how that cycle works typically people who start yeah. like that have lot more drive to get it done that way and like what we try to the, the missing puzzle there is moving data from a warehouse and replicating the database of saas data that you may already have in the cloud warehouse but those are people who are like more leaning on the i'm going to pay the double cost of warehouse and lake for us sometime and then over time i'll figure out how to move things and i i think this will be the most interesting thing to watch because right now given the perform like the, the bad things are right lake is super optimized for running large scale data science machine learning workloads the warehouse are really optimized for running like bi then i think the, the bi workload stays there the essence workload stays here i think we we as we build tech i think maybe they will like more bi goes that's what the rise of starburst tells you rise of presto tells you right i think it's very interesting times i think to be building data it's going to be super fun it's going to be super fun i have one more question for you sure. and this kind of goes back to where we started with the origin of hudi i'm interested to know so you actually you got it running with three engineers in production in a, a pretty short amount of time for developing a new technology that's sort of managing the scale was there a sort of feature or optimization in the business that sticks out in your mind as like an early win i just love for our listeners to to hear like okay so you developed this amazing technology like i'm sure we have users of hudi or people who want to use it but i just love to know like what was an early win inside yeah. of uber that came directly from the technology yeah there's like a direct dollar value attached to that project at that point like a dollar value that is that exceeds like hundreds of millions of dollars because the we were able to run fraud checks a lot faster 
which mm. meant we report to banks a lot faster. And you can imagine the how complex these checks would be. They're very hard to write those in a streaming sort of way and like kind of like you know get it right. But if you had the like sure. high query basically or something like that, right? We needed real near real time data, not like real time real time. But we needed to be running some checks like every hour, for example, as opposed to every twelve hours or every and the you can imagine right at uber scale the amount of like rides and everything like the 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 banks typically give you money back more money back if you report sooner that kind of like how sure, it sure sure again don't quote me on this is how it was there i don't know how banking rules have changed this but is not financial advice. Main, <laughs> yeah yeah this is not financial <laughs> and that was the main driver and then of course there was like intrinsic uber is it starts raining it affects our business right there's sure. like a huge concert the traffic changes so intrinsically the business had real time business a uh, real time needs and this sometimes hard to put a dollar value around it except for we can count the number of times people wish data was there sooner <laughs> this table was built sure. faster uh, but the real tangible dollar value was we can do all the background things rider safety for example we can do all these like background things like tasks and pro data processing that that we do to make uber the uber experience really better can run faster quicker more incremental that is sort of thing and and this was actually not a very i i at least came with that mindset because at linkedin the main thing that we would try to incrementalize was people you may know for example it's a sure. pretty complex graph algorithm but the the mm. whole like we spent a lot of time around hey if you connected you and i connected now and then it'll be cool to like i go to linkedin and then i get the thing right away probably they've made it work now i haven't kept track but we were in that mindset okay yeah let's make all the batch jobs incremental there is no reason for them to be running full batch and eating up our entire clusters right sure. so that's sort of how we went about it amazing Well, Vinat, this has been an amazing conversation. I know we could keep going, but we're at the buzzer. Thank you so much for joining us. I learned an immense amount and I know our audience did too. So thank you for sharing some of your time with us. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad to be here. And these are like really deep questions. So so thank you. <laughs> thank you for these questions. It also helps me think, think better. All right. Thanks. Thanks, everyone. I'm going to break the rules. I have on this, in this recap, there i have two takeaways one i love that he called himself a one trick pony <laughs> i think he was very authentic and humble but that was just hilarious to me the other one which we talked about right towards the end of the episode sometimes you think about the the gains from sort of building your own infrastructure how do you calculate roi on that is it engineering time saved etc but He was talking about financial transactions to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars, which is wild. And those sort of stakes are really, really high. And so that was just amazing to me. I wasn't expecting that quantity of a sort of ROI impact, but it's massive. So that's just, man, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think it was super super interesting conversation that we had. I think that we managed to make uh much more clear what the data lake is and why it is important and what's the distinction also with a lake house where things are going where they are yep. today and we had like a pretty technical conversation but without getting into like too much technical detail yeah but it was very I don't know I really enjoyed this conversation and we definitely need to get him back I think we have no question uh, much more to discuss about we didn't have the time for example to talk about open source open source projects governance like what's his experience there why it is important yeah um, I'd love to hear more about running a project like Hudi within the Apache Foundation yeah. I mean that would be so interesting to hear about yeah 100% So yeah hopefully we will manage I think he was the first guest that had like an immediate relationship with a data lake technology there's more out there hopefully we will manage to get more on the show to discuss about that both like lake house and data lake and like everything so yeah I'm really looking forward like to have him back on the show again we'll do it all right well thanks again for joining the data sack show 
Uh, a lot of great episodes coming up. Uh, so make sure to subscribe and we'll catch you on the next one. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Data Stack Show. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app to get notified about new episodes every week. We'd also love your feedback. You can email me, Eric Dodds, at eric at datastackshow.com. That's E-R-I-C at datastackshow.com. The show is brought to you by Rudderstack, the CDP for developers. Learn how to build a CDP on your data warehouse at rudderstack.com.